Health is everything. La salud lo es todo. Health is everything. Health is everything. La santé est tout. Health is everything. Dr. Rhonda Patrick has a gift for translating complex scientific topics into actionable insights in her videos, podcasts, and articles. I first met her a few years back when I appeared on her incredibly popular podcast, Found My Fitness. Dr. Patrick herself is dedicated to the pursuit of longevity and optimal health and shares the latest research on nutrition, aging, and disease prevention with her growing audience. Dr. Patrick has done groundbreaking research of her own on metabolism, inflammation, and aging. But in recent years, she's come forward as a leading translational voice on proactive and preventative approaches to longevity through many of the hormetic-type stressors that I myself am fascinated with, things like exercise, fasting, sauna use, or heat stress, or various forms of cold exposure, and the importance of mindfulness, stress reduction, and sleep. Today, I'm excited to delve into the topic of intermittent fasting with Dr. Patrick, from defining this popular phrase to exploring the science of two-day, five days, and even more extended fasts. Hi, Rhonda. Thanks for uh, joining today. I really appreciate it. Um, so I am always just ecstatic to have a conversation with you, Chuck. We're talking about intermittent fasting, and you know, you've done a lot of fascinating podcasts on it and talked about it. What got you interested? How did you start with an interest in this? When I first started doing uh, biology research at the Salk Institute for Biological Sciences, uh, Sciences in La Jolla, uh, I was working in an aging lab, and we were using these, you know, nematode C. elegant worms as a, a, a research model for studying aging because they have a really short lifespan, about two weeks, and so you can do all sorts of perturbations, you know, genetic ones specifically, but also um, lifestyle factors, and so. Uh, there were many people in the lab, including myself, that would do something called dietary restriction, where we would limit the the intake, the food intake of these of these little worms, um, which were eating E. coli bacteria, basically. So we would we would sort of limit the amount of bacteria they would they would eat um, through various methods, either one by actually directly changing the food, or also by changing their pharyngeal pumping kind of mechanisms, where they couldn't. It, I know that sounds like a mean way to do it, but you know. Um, it's genetics. So um, what was so interesting was the, the effect that I could see on the health span of the worm. So for example, as the worm ages, as you start to near it, you know, the, the end of its lifespan, um, you know, the worms be, are less vital. I mean, they're moving slower, they're feeding less. I mean, it's just very visually easy to see an old worm versus a young, you know, healthy worm. And so, um, you know, when you're doing a direct experiment like that and you see it with your own eyes and you go, wow, like when I, when I restrict food from this worm, it's younger, you know, later in life where like this worm that's moving around all fast. And I mean, it, that's, that looks like a, you know, a young worm and yet it's towards the end of his lifespan. So I think that that was my first taste of, you know, quote unquote, this not necessarily fasting, but in a way, you know, restricting food. That's a great point. Um, let's clarify it a little bit. When you talk about intermittent fasting, what do you mean? You know, a lot of people are using the phrase right now. It's kind of a buzzword. Um, it's more than caloric restriction, right? Um, tell us a bit more about what science says on this from your perspective. You always hear when you read like a New York Times article or something, it's always in intermittent fasting, blah, 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 right? So intermittent fasting is kind of this blanket term, um, which in fact, there are many types of fasting and not everything is 
actually intermittent fasting. So um, intermittent fasting, Walter likes to, to say he thinks really the science shows that it's fasting less than 48 hours. And there's different types of intermittent fasting. Like you, for example, can, you can do what's called alternate day fasting. So you fast for 24 hours and then you eat the next 24 hours as you want. And then you could fast again for 24 hours. So that's alternate day fasting. There is another type of fasting called time-restricted eating, um, who uh, a, a good friend of mine, Dr. Sachin Panda, who is at the Salk Institute. Time-restricted eating has a circadian rhythm component to it, the day-light cycle, right? So, you know, bright light exposure is very important for setting our circadian rhythm, and that has profound effects on overall health and mental health. Well, food intake is also a Zeitgeber. Um, it activates the biological clocks in many other organs like the liver um, uh, and, and other, other organs as well. And, and that basically is the, this, the, the setting of the clock starts metabolism because your metabolism is on a circadian rhythm. Um, and what I mean by that is basically you're, you're more glucose um, or you're more insulin sensitive earlier in the day and you're more insulin insensitive later in the day. And, um, and so eating within this optimal range of your circadian rhythm, which actually starts with the first food intake, that also, um, that's sort of a time of type of intermittent fasting that's specifically called time-restricted eating. A lot of people know this as like, for example, 16-8. So you eat within an eight-hour time window, window and then you fast for 16 hours. Um, and then there's prolonged fasting, which uh, Dr. Volta Longo has really um, pioneered a lot of that work where you fast for longer than 48 hours for a human. Um, and, and that you know, leads to all types of different, you know, biological responses that are sort of even uh, independent of what you would find with intermittent fasting. And, and Volter has shown a lot of that work. He's done a lot of mechanistic work in animal studies and some pilot clinical studies as well, where, you know, prolonged fasting, um, as Volter likes to explain, will sort of activate this rejuvenation pathway where, um, you know, cells basically, you know, you get, you get a clearing away of stuff inside of your cells, gunk, you know, like protein aggregates, pieces of DNA, uh, cellular debris. So this is, this is known as autophagy. And in addition to autophagy, as you fast for a more prolonged period, um, it's a stronger stress response. And so you start to actually get cell death um, the entire cell will die, and and Volter has shown quite nicely in a variety of animal studies that there appears to be a selective death for damaged cells, cells that are uh, perhaps even, um, if we're talking about the immune system, autoimmune types of cells will will die, and and this activates stem cells, and during the refeeding phase, stem cells proliferate, and you actually see organs shrink in animals, in, in rodents, during the fat, prolonged fast, and then they re-expand because they're repopulated with stem cells, repopulating them with healthy new young cells. But I'm also, I'm really interested in these longer fasts. I mean, clearly, this is something people did, uh, you know, in indigenous cultures all the time, right? I mean, this is like the classic, you know, Jesus goes out 40 days in the desert. I mean, it, it's just discovered, rediscovered, rediscovered. 
what what's the optimal? Do we know in humans, but from his work, what the optimal sort of time frame is? So when we talk about that, to get this sort of rejuvenation or you know sort of 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 kind of optimal stress response, what what how long is the prolonged fast? Well, I can speak a little bit um, based on Walter's work mechanistically. What we do know, so Walter has shown, if you take a rodent and you yeah. you fast the rodent for forty eight hours, um, that leads to a drop in what's called insulin-like growth factor one, IGF-1. And the major dietary activators of IGF-1 is actually dietary protein and specifically um, essential and branch chain amino acids, which are mostly found in in, uh, animal. They're more abundant in animal types of uh, sources of protein. Um, So the IGF-1 dropping is key for the apoptosis to occur, the, 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 in animals, for example, 20% of the immune system is lost and then uh, replenished during the refeeding phase, phase which actually requires IGF-1. Um, and the reason I'm focusing on this IGF-1 is because we know from human studies, so an animal in a mouse, a rodent, it obviously is much smaller than a human. Um, and so in, it takes about 48 hours to get the IGF-1 levels low enough that you have such a profound effect on, you know, clearing away, you know, for example, the immune system, right? Apoptosis happening. In humans, it takes about five days to get the same equivalent IGF-1 drop that you would see in the rodent studies. So... Um, just from an IGF-1 you know, perspective, looking at the IGF-1 levels, it seems as though to get a really, you know, that really robust effect, that IGF-1 has to go really far down. And that actually takes much longer in humans. You know, in a mouse, you, you fast a mouse for 48 hours and they lose 20% of their body weight. They, they lose, I mean, they're, they, you know, imagine yeah. if that's all it took for humans to, to lose that much. Humans lose between 1% to 2% in a 48 hour fast. So it's, it's definitely, you know, apples and oranges there. If you're just trying to do a 48 hour fast and and thinking you're going to get the same results that you see in an animal study for 48 hours. Um, Walter has published some, some um, pilot studies with two day water fasts. And and it it did sort of at, at, at the 48 hour hour mark, which is sort of the start of what Walter would call a prolonged fast you start to see activation of hematopoietic stem cells in, in blood samples. Mm-hmm. This wasn't statistically significant, um, largely because the sample size was, was so small. So it wasn't really, it was an underpowered study. But um, also I think, you know, just based on like the, like the IGF-1, it, it's very possible that it might take, you know, a, a much longer fast. Now, five days of not eating isn't, something to just, you know, do nilly-willy at home all by yourself, right? I mean, you know, it can be a a dangerous thing. You know, how often do you need to do it? And maybe that depends on, according to Walter, your health status. So for example, people that are like me, that are, I'm lean, I don't have any uh, risk factors for type 2 diabetes or cardiovascular disease or diseases in general, I'm, I'm, I am physically active, uh, I eat a healthy diet, you know, so all these things, I'm, I've got this healthy lifestyle. Um, you know, do I need to do this maybe once a year? It might be beneficial because the rejuvenation effect that you're going to get uh, from, the, from the prolonged fast uh, in and of itself is sort of unique to, you know. So um, 
you know, the question is then, and you have someone that's obese or, you know, and has other risk factors, or maybe you have people that are sedentary, they're not obese, but um, they don't, you know, they're not, they're not physically active. And, you know, so there's all sorts of spectrum of, you know, people and, and perhaps um, there may be different protocols for doing a prolonged fast. And again, that is something that, um, you know, you should consult a physician about, but um, it's, it's an interesting concept for this, the aging field in general, doing things that are, you know, don't require a pill, something that you can sort of do and, and a prolonged yeah. fast is something that's, you know, uh, easy to do with, with, your, with your lifestyle, right? Let's talk about what happens when you deprive yourself of food for a while. I mean, it, even, you know, at a certain point, it becomes a stressor pretty quickly. What, why does that work? What does it do for the person? You know, it's, it's, it's funny how it's almost like, you know, we are humans were meant to have this stressor. It, it's, it's like a, a program um, that's meant to be switched on. And, and in our day and age, it's often never switched on because we have constant access to food. Um, and, and the reason I say meant to be switched on is because, you know, it, there's this whole genetic response, very coordinated, that turns on when you don't eat food and turns off in the presence of food. And a lot of that is regulated through these molecular pathways like the PK, protein kinase A, the AKT pathway, and downstream of that IGF-1. When those things are, are activated, they are turning off genes involved in stem cell production. They're turning off gene, genes involved in autophagy, the clearing away of all this. You want this cleanup to be happening. You don't want protein aggregates to, to you know, aggregate inside your cells, things like amyloid beta plaque or alpha-synuclein. Those are involved in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. Um, you don't, you know, you, you want to have autophagy happening. It, you know, it switches off when you're constantly activating those things, which happens in the presence of food. It's switching off uh, a lot of antioxidant and anti-inflammatory genes. You know, these are important things. You want, you want to activate genes that are anti-inflammatory. You want to activate genes that are um, antioxidant genes because that is help mitigating the everyday stress of just being alive, just normal metabolism, just normal immune function. Um, you know, you're constantly generating byproducts, reactive oxygen species from your mitochondria through metabolism, and they're damaging things. They're damaging your DNA. They're damaging your proteins. They're damaging your cell membranes. Um, you know, and and inflammatory molecules have a, a, a profound effect on the, the brain, as you know, Chuck. So um, you know, you want to you want you want those pathways to be down so that all those things, all those stress response pathways I just mentioned can be switched on. And, and they're switched on when you, when you stress the body, like through fasting or exercise down to the molecular level, you know, these things are all, all those important stress response pathways are switched on when you're not eating. A, a lot of times, I think, I think anyone would agree, you, you know, when you eat a little bit too much, you'll, you'll feel after eating, you feel sleepy and lethargic. I mean, and, and that's partly linked to the, the postprandial inflammatory response that's happening, um, you know, and, and sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum of that is that when you're not eating, you, um, particularly when you start to, to get into a 12, 12 plus hour uh, fast, you start to go into what's called ketosis. And, yeah. and ketosis is really a differentiating factor between just 
counting calories, you know, just essentially lowering your calorie intake and actually just going through these periods of not eating where you, you know, your, your glycogen levels are depleted in your liver. And that sort of varies from person to person. It can take, depending on your level of activity, for example, because that also can induce ketosis and the, the depletion of uh, liver glycogen. But it can take anywhere between 11 to, you know, 13 hours in, in you know, people. But I've always had this sort of underlying interest in exactly what we're talking about. Like, I'd love to know you know, what would a four and five day fast do and, and really understand it just because it just, it, it, it's a weird thing. It just seems like humans, you know, you see this with psychedelics, you know, people, people can have these sort of uh, people, many people to various degrees have a sort of innate um, uh, sort of spiritual capacity or spiritual longing, you know, um, but you can push it. And, you know, sometimes that's not good, but it's just, it's such an interesting thing that all these sort of interventions that have antidepressant capacities have this, to me, this, this, this characteristic that if you push them a little further, you move into these sort of more sort of inspired, riskily grandiose sometimes, but these sort of elevated states. And then of course, there's something beyond that where they, you know, the people start having trouble, they get sick, they, you know, they go crazy, they, whatever, you know, but it's just so interesting that like a five day fast would have that characteristic. And it's, it's a, pity nobody's trying to better understand these more extreme things with all the caveats you'd want to have in place around safety but you know well there is um there is an institute in santa rosa um it's called true north and they do supervised prolonged fast in some cases even very prolonged um you know we're talking some people go out there and do 20-day water fast where they're their starting point, like if I were to do a 20 day water fast, like I, like they would be catastrophic because I I don't have a lot of fat mass to begin with. Right. Um, so, um, there, there, they are, there is an Institute and they are, they, they do supervise these prolonged fasts. I've had several friends that have gone and done them there. They've done five day fast um, multiple times and, um, they do work they are working with other researchers like Walter and um, others as well. Uh, um, Dr. Luigi Fontana, who's uh, in Italy. So, so they are trying to get some of that data that they're, they're gathering from just their, you know, people, which would, which would be anecdotal if, you know, if, if, if it wasn't um, analyzed, you know, by, by scientists. So that I do think there at least is some hope in getting some published data from that Institute. Um, like my mother-in-law, she, um, she's had a lot of metabolic issues in, in, um, trying to understand exactly what's going on. It's been on sort of unclear fibroids or something where she had tried, I mean, every type of diet, you know, low carb, ketogenic, um, exercise on a, on a vegetarian, just everything. And she couldn't lose that visceral fat. Like there was something metabolically dysregulated mm-hmm. and it wasn't until she listened to the Walter Longo podcast that we had recorded, um, and decided that she was going to try this prolonged fast. Um, and so she did, and she's done now several times, um, she five day water fasts, um, sometimes she'll have a little bit of like bone broth, you know, a little bit, she gets, um, wants to get, you know, make sure she gets sodium and, and stuff like that, some electrolytes, but, um, it, she did it a couple of times. And after the second time, 
her metabolism like completely reset and she was able to lose weight normally doing those other types of diets that she was never able to lose weight before. And, you know, it's unclear if it was some sort of leptin regularization, um, you know, there was some sort of uh, regulatory thing that happened or normalization that happened with leptin and insulin and, and or both or other perhaps um, ghrelin, just other, you know, hormones um, involved yeah. in, you know, a variety of metabolism and satiety and stuff. But um, now she does it regularly, like she'll, she'll do it, you know, every couple of months. And it always helps her sort of just, you know, yeah, she loses weight initially during, during the fast, but it helps her metabolism, you know, months afterwards. Afterwards. Does, yeah. she, notice, does she notice that it impacts her mood at all? She, her body was adapted. Sometimes this is referred to fat adapted because she was able to, she's able to get into ketosis easier. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a hump people might experience when if they're used, so used to eating carbohydrates and converting carbohydrates and glucose into energy that when they shift to ketosis there can be a little bit of a effect on the brain that's not desirable where you feel lethargic and you feel yeah. but once you actually once your body gets past that and you get you know full blown into ketosis then you feel much much better one friend who was geez he was like 400 pounds i mean just, um, you know, morbidly obese and he lost a couple hundred pounds and he was doing prolonged fasts. just, you know, he was doing very regularly doing, and he wouldn't eat for, you know, 15 days, 12 days. Yeah. Um, and he lost a couple hundred pounds and, um, he said that, you know, during his fasting, you know, he had so much energy and felt great and actually found that he didn't require as much sleep which makes sense. I mean, if you're damaging, if you're inducing inflammation, you know, causing immune system activation, that's energy, energetic demanding. You're going to need to need to repair that damage, recover and sleep yep. is when you do that, you know? So, um, and then I've had other friends that are, uh, lean and they're, they're very physically active and, um, eat healthy. And they've done a couple of these prolonged fasts, um, at True North and, They've also said the same thing where they've they've had almost too much energy where they you know yeah they get almost like panic. so productive and they're yeah so yeah, yeah. which fascinating to hear all these animals. which also makes yeah which also makes sense you know I mean from an evolutionary perspective you know when the going gets tough the tough get going right I mean if you if you know when you've just had a big old you know slab of mammoth you can you can afford to sleep for a while but you know if you're if you're getting the signal that you need to go look for your next meal. That's a good time to have focus and energy and, you know, so we need to stop. Um, I'm out. I'm completely out of time, but um, thank you. It's so cool. Well, thanks, Chuck. Uh, it's always Yeah, thank you, Rhonda. Such great information. This is so cool for the folks. Um, it's just awesome. So be well. I will talk to you later. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks. Health is everything. La salud lo es todo. Health is everything. Thank you for listening to Health is Everything. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, share it with a friend, or rate it on Apple Podcast. You can visit us at exploringhealth.org and follow the Emory University Center for the Study of Human Health at CSHH or at Exploring Health on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Dr. Christine Whelan, along with Dr. Charles Raison, wishing you the best of health until we meet again.